0: Well, last week, we have been so blessed uh, by Pastor Amos as he began to uh, introduce the book of Galatians to us, and that's when we realized that the gospel, the gospel that the apostle Paul preached is one that is by Christ, is one that is for Christ, as well as one all about Christ. Isn't that what we learned last week? And this week, what's going to happen is that we're going to talk about where did this gospel come from? And What can this gospel actually do to us? And I think that's an important uh, subject. Now, let me introduce it this way. When I was growing up as a young Christian, uh, I often hear a lot of amazing conversion stories of former drug addicts or gangsters or prisoners, and and their conversion story is so dramatic their conversion story is so amazing that it makes my conversion story seem very lame. You understand what I mean? How did I come to Christ? Oh, I grew up in a nice family. I went to school. I struggled with identity issues. Then I went to a school camp. Someone shared with me the four spiritual laws. And then they asked me, would I would like to receive Christ? I said, yeah, I think so, yes. And then I prayed the sinner's prayer and I got saved. Uh, it seems really boring. You know, you understand what I mean? It seems really boring compared to these amazing stories that these people tell. And then sometimes I'm so tempted growing up as a Christian, maybe I should go out and smoke some weeds or beat up my neighbor or, you know, do something. And then I can turn around and can tell these amazing stories. How many of you ever feel tempted to do that? Actually, that is perverted thinking. That's perverted thinking. I'll tell you why. It's because it's only by the grace of God that I don't have to go to the pits. I don't have to go to hell in order and, and only to come to Christ. You see, it's by the grace of God I don't have to experience all this bad stuff before I actually turn to Christ. Because salvation is a gift from God. And I'm so blessed And those of you who are born in a Christian family and sometimes you feel like I haven't really tasted the world, you are blessed. You don't even realize it. You should be thankful that you are in a Christian family. How many of you will say amen to that? You should be thankful. It's only by the grace of God. But this morning, we're going to be looking at an amazing conversion story of a Jewish man who was formerly known as Saul and now we know him as Paul the apostle. And his story is recorded for us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 24. So if you have your Bibles with you, can I invite you to go there and now read this amazing story for you. And you'll find that this story is beautifully divided into three portions, before, during, and after. It's like an amazing testimony, okay? And here it goes. Galatians chapter 1, reading from verse 11 to 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach, Paul now tell us, where did the gospel come from? He said, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age amongst my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace and was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach to Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, but I, go up. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus, and then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is actually Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. And here's the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. I think one of the greatest conversion uh, stories in the Bible must be that of the Apostle Paul. And his conversion was not only dramatic, but I think it was also drastic in its impact on Christianity. His conversion was actually a pivotal event that sets Christianity up to actually move from the Jewish world into the Gentile world. And perhaps that was why God had to raise Paul, who, who, is, who is not one of the original 12 apostles, and then use him as an apostle to the Gentiles. You see, the original 12 apostles, they were called to the Jews first, okay? And, 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 and they were all ministering in Jerusalem. Paul was different. He was unique. And that was why the false Jewish preachers that we heard about last week, these are the people who are trying to bring the, the, the Christians back into Judaism, you know, back into the law, trying to get them to be circumcised. These false preachers actually look at Paul and he was preaching this gospel of grace and then they said because he's, he's, he's non, his non-conformity, because he's not the same as the other 12 apostles, therefore his mandate, his message, his ministry were not, was not from God. That's what they were accusing him of. And therefore, they said, he is not a true apostle. But here in, in, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 24, Paul begins to defend his apostolic calling. Now let me ask you, what was his apostolic uh, authority based on? It is actually based on the gospel that he preached. What was his authority based on? It's based on the gospel he preached. So the question now is this, where did his message come from? How did the message get to him? And what is this message all about? Does this message have any power at all? Those were the important questions he needed to answer. And these are the questions that would define his authenticity as an apostle. And you notice right from the start, the apostle Paul declared in no uncertain term that this gospel that he preached is not of human origin, It is not a human invention, but it is of divine revelation. He said it right from the beginning. So you look at verse 11 and 12 now. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. It is not taught up by some people. It is not of human origin. It is not a personal invention, but it is divine revelation. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, Rather, I receive it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, you, you ask yourself, how did we receive the gospel? All of us, if not, I think all of us actually either learn it by reading, by studying, or somebody taught it to us. Isn't that, is that right? Most of us received the gospel in that way. But for, for Paul, it was unique. His message and his ministry was divinely given by Jesus Christ directly. He got it direct from the Lord. That's why he, is a, he, he writes the Bible within. He got it direct from God. And what better way for Paul to validate this than to share his personal testimony. And that's what he did in Galatians 1 verse 13 to 24. And you notice Paul down outlines three pivotal periods in his life that authenticated his mandate, his ministry, and his message and let me outline them for you. Here are the three pivotal periods. The first was before his conversion. He he talked about how before his conversion, he he was on a crusade to persecute the church, right? That was his past life, his crusade to persecute the church. And Paul went back to his past as an intense Jewish rabbi who was on a crusade to get rid of the church, And in Galatians 1.13, he says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Now, to go ahead, to get ahead in Judaism, he went against the church. And the more he persecuted the church, the more he advanced up the ladder in Judaism. So if you look at Galatians 1.14, now he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age amongst my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And those traditions include circumcision. It includes keeping the feasts, keeping the laws, etc. And then he testified that he was on an all-out quest to squash the church. He was going around from city to city, closing down churches, putting believers in prison. He himself testified in Acts 22, verse 4. I persecuted the followers of their way to their their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. I think about the Apostle Paul. I think he's he's the typical high-D personality. You know, the typical highly driven person. He was a man of conviction. He was someone who knows what he wanted and then he goes for it. He sets a goal and then he bulldozes his way through. That's him. Anything and anybody who stand in his way, he will have them demolished and destroyed. That's the apostle Paul. And Saul knew that Judaism and Christianity cannot come together. They are not the same. They are opposites, in fact. They are like oil and water. They cannot mix. And so, since he was all out for Judaism, he made it his goal, his life mission is to get rid of Christianity. It's one or the other. He knows that it cannot be, cannot be the same. And the point that the Apostle Paul was making here is this, that if he is so for Judaism, don't miss this. This is his point of argument. If I am so for Judaism, I'm so dead against the church, how can I end up becoming a preacher of the gospel that I'm trying to destroy if not for something drastic? Something drastic must have happened to me. That's how I end up preaching the gospel. I was dead against it, actually. And his point was this. It was not the Jews who called him to preach for Jesus. They were anti-Christianity. It was not the Christians who gave him the ministry because they were running away from him because he was persecuting them. So if it wasn't the Jews and it wasn't the Christians that called him and turned him from his path to actually become a preacher of the gospel, if it's not the Jews, if it's not the Christians, then where else can it be? It must be God. That's his argument. It must be God who actually called me. And his past conduct as a persecutor of the church plus a dramatic change in his life proof that his mandate, his ministry, his message can only come from God. Question, when did this happen? I think the turning point was when he met the risen Christ on his way to Damascus to actually persecute the church. And this is what led to his next season. And the next season was this. It was during his conversion. Now he began to talk about his conversion to Christ. Period number two. Now we come to this watershed moment in human biblical history. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus. I tell you, this was not just the most famous conversion. It was also one of the most important conversions of all times. In fact, it was so important, it was recounted three times in the book of Acts. His testimony was shared three times in chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. That was how important his conversion was. And his was not a typical conversion, not like mine. You know, went to church, went to a camp, people shared with me. No, no, it's not like that. It was dramatic. In fact, this, his conversion resulted in 25% of the New Testament. Do you realize this? This guy's conversion resulted in 25% of the New Testament. In fact, Paul wrote one of the most important epistles in the New Testament, the book of Romans. The book that actually tells us what the gospel is all about. And, and Paul wrote this. This book, the book of Romans, was so instrumental to the conversion of spiritual luminaries like St. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley. They all attributed their conversion to the book of Romans. These are spiritual giants of God who changed literally the spiritual landscape of history. The conversion of Paul the Apostle literally changed the world. How did it happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 6 recorded this Amazing encounter. Listen to this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, any Christians there who belonged to the way, where the man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, hallelujah, I love suddenlies, you know, that's when God suddenly comes into our midst, God intervenes, and suddenly, you know, uh, a light from heaven flashed around him, he fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Persecute me, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he replied, now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The apostle Paul, at that time, he was Saul. He was on his way to persecute the church in Damascus. I can picture him, typical highly driven, Heidi personality, riding up in front, you know, leading his troops towards Damascus. And then suddenly, out of a midday sun, no, imagine that. A light that is brighter than the midday sun broke through. And he flashed around, uh, flashed from heaven, and Saul went crashing to the ground. And then, when he was on that floor, a voice from heaven said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, Why are you persecuting the church? He said, Why are you persecuting me? It tells me that our attitude towards the church reflects our attitude towards Christ. Hear me, don't miss this. Our attitude towards the church reflects our attitude towards Christ. If you attack the church, you are attacking him. You see? And for the first time, Saul realized that he was going against God himself. And his response was this, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In In the New King James Version, Saul actually asked the next question. The next question was this, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then the Lord replied, Arise, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Brothers and sisters, don't miss these two poignant questions that every single one of us have to ask. The two poignant questions of life is this, Who are you, Lord? And then after that, we have to ask, Lord, if He's really Lord, then we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because do these two questions, friends, they define for us who our master is. And they define for us what our mission is. How many of you agree? If you don't know your master, if you don't know your mission, you're living a meaningless life. Hello, you with me? if you don't know what your life is all about and you don't know who, you're, who you belong to, you really don't know what you're living for. And I think these are two key, significant questions of life. And my friends, we will never know who we are. We'll never know our identity until we know, and, and we'll never know what we must do with our life, you see. You will never know who you are, what your identity, and what you must do with your life, your mission, until you know who is your master. You know your master first, and then you will know your mission. That's why one of the advice I give to all young people looking for a life partner, always think of these three things. Master, mission, then mate. Okay, master, mission, then mate. Some people just go for the mate first without even knowing the master. Then after that, you find you cannot fulfill your mission. Too bad for you. Master, mission, mate. I think that's a good way to look at it see, and I tell you, there on the ground, Saul, the persecutor, became Paul, the preacher. Saul, the legalist, became Paul, the evangelist. And his rope of self-righteousness fell off and he surrendered to the grace of God. And I want you to know that when Paul got off the ground, he was a totally different man. His life was radically transformed for Jesus Christ. It has been said, and rightly so, that the most important thing in a man's conversion. is not what happened during the conversion. It's what happens after. See, it does not matter what moving experience you had. But the question is, where did that experience move you? Hello. It's not what moving experience you have. It's where did that experience move you? Did your conversion result in real change in your life? It did for the Apostle Paul. From the pinnacle of Jerusalem, Paul is now sitting in a corner of a little house in Damascus. And the great religious leader of his time is now helpless. You know, he sat there for three days and three nights doing nothing. It must have been tough for this type A, highly driven person. He sat there, unable to see anything, unable to do anything for three days and three nights. I just cut my eyes on cataracts and I had to adjust for one month. I feel like my life is finished, you know. <laughs> this guy was totally blinded. for Three days and three nights sitting there and during this three, you know, he could not see a thing. But yet, ironically, for the first time, he could see everything. And during these three nights of three days of darkness, he realized how blind he truly was. How much he has misunderstood Jesus. How much he has missed the Messiah himself. And he realized at that point, I've got to lose my religiosity in order to gain Christ's righteousness. And it was during those three days, he he realized I'm trying to get to heaven on my own steam, but now I have seen the Messiah. And he never knew. He was... He, he, he realized that he, he now knows that all the laws and all the prophets actually pointed to Jesus Christ. And you know what he concluded? He concluded in Philippians 3, 7. He says, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What was before was profit for him has now become lost. What was once precious has become rubbish. What he once hated, he now pursue. All of the prestige, the status, the position, and all of that that he was tri- striving after, trying to get to heaven on his own steam, he realized that's all rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. We should feel it in our hearts that we have come through that and we understood this wonderful gospel. For one who persecuted Christian, he now died with Christ. For one who lived by self-effort, he now lived unto Christ. For one who lived by the law, he now lived unto Christ. For one who hated Christ, now he knows that Christ loved Christ. Him. Saul of Tarsus has become Paul the Apostle. What a radical conversion. And I tell you, that can only happen because of God. And in Galatians 1, verse 23 and 24, he says, They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then this, and he said, They praise God because of me. Before, he was a, on a crusade against the church. During, he was converted to Christ. And now, after his conversion, what happened? It, was, it became his call to the Gentiles. He began to talk about his call to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul had a unique encounter because God was preparing him for a unique assignment, which is what? To be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now I tell you, friends, his ministry was not just unique. It was also totally unique divine. And that was why Paul defended his apostleship by revealing that he had no personal contacts with the apostles immediately after his conversion. What he's saying is this, he did not receive the gospel through the apostles or were taught it by them, but he received the gospel, the message of the gospel directly from God. He's a unique person. It was not an education, but it was an encounter that took him across the line. He wasn't educated in the gospel. He encountered the living Christ. And that's where he got his gospel from. So listen to what he said now in verse 15 to 20. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach to Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. That's where he went. Later, I returned to Damascus, and after three years, then I went up to into uh, went up to Jerusalem and got acquainted with. Peter, and then stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Now, how many of you agree the logical thing for the apostle Paul to do after he got got converted was actually to visit the apostles in Jerusalem? That's the most natural thing to do. Right? It's just like, if God should encounter you and you get converted, what's the next best thing to do? Go to church. <laughs> this is what we typically do. But the Apostle Paul says, no, I didn't. I didn't go there. The Lord led me differently. Because I, and I think the reason is because if he had gone to Jerusalem, then his ministry would have been identified with the apostles. Then you'll be all be focused on the church in Jerusalem. And I think this is right because the gospel had to go to the Jews first, but God was preparing Paul for the next phase of the gospel, which is to take it to the Gentiles. Then what happened to Paul? Galatians 1.17 says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia instead. After a time in Damascus, Paul was led by the Lord going to Arabia where he devoted himself to a season of meditation, of study, of prayer, And he must have spent a greater part of that three years in Arabia. And it was there that the Lord Jesus would have revealed himself to Paul, actually gave him the message of the gospel. See, the original uh, apostles, remember, they spent three years with Christ, walking with him and all that. Paul had the same experience of being with Christ for three years. But his was in the desert in Arabia. After he got all that, then he went back to Damascus. And how many of you know, if he goes back to Damascus, it's actually quite dangerous. And I'll tell you why. Because the the Jews in Damascus will be very upset with him because he has turned away from them and gone the other way, right? And because of that, he almost lost his life in Damascus. And I'll tell you where I got that from. Acts chapter 9 verse 22 to 25. Now, let me take you to all that so that you can see the big picture. And then I want to make one application for you before we close. Acts chapter 9, verse 22 to 25. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful while he was in Damascus. He became more and more powerful. He baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days have gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. But Paul, the Saul learned of their plan, and day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And then Paul managed to escape as a result. And that was when he decided to go to Jerusalem. Then he went to Jerusalem and met Peter and James. But in between this time, how many of you know he was already preaching the gospel? The gospel he received direct from God and he was already demonstrating the power of the gospel. So much so that it baffled the Jews and they're wondering, Whoa, where did this guy come from? He was a curveball that came from don't know where and then they were beginning to see people getting converted everywhere. It was only after that, then he went to Jerusalem and even when he went to Jerusalem, none of the apostles wanted to meet him Because at first, they were not sure if he was for real. It was only because of Barnabas that he finally get a chance to meet Peter and James. How do I know that? Now, all this is actually in the Bible, you know. We just need to read it. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) You just need to read it and know that it's there. It all makes sense. The Bible is not haphazard. It's very meaningful. You piece it all together and it's all there. You know, how do I know that Paul... It wasn't easy for him to see James and Peter. It's because of Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Listen to this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, he was a son of encouragement, you know. He took him and he brought him to the apostles. And it was there that he got to see Peter and James. He stayed in Jerusalem for 15 days. And during that time, that's when he got acquainted with the apostles. He wasn't there to be taught the gospel. He was there to get acquainted with them and he, it was there that he shared with them what he does, what he was doing. And then the apostles actually affirmed him. And thereafter, Paul went back to his hometown of Tarsus. And to go back to his hometown of Tarsus, he's got to go through two cities, which is Syria and Cilicia. And that's why you read verse 21 and 22. I went to Syria and Cilicia and, because he was on his way home. Okay, and I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. And I believe that Paul actually stayed in his own hometown of Tarsus and it was there that he continued to preach the gospel and all that for several years until when? Until Barnabas came, recruited him to go to Antioch, which is when the church was, the Gentile church was first birth. Okay, and it was Barnabas who actually recruited him, brought him to Antioch, and then the whole thing started from there. How do I know this? Acts 11, 25 and 26. Are you following me so far? Follow me, follow me, and then I'll nail it down for you. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. You see, that's how he ended up in the Gentile world. Barnabas went to Tarsus, looked for Saul, and when he found him, brought him to Antioch. And then for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It was in Antioch, my brothers and sisters, that the Apostle Paul finally found his destiny and fulfilled his calling to the Gentiles. You see, by going back to his past conduct, by going back to his conversion, by going back to the divine calling that he had, the Apostle Paul make it very clear that no one can accuse him of inventing or corrupting his message or his ministry. So you ask me, when is the gospel true? It is when it is the gospel that Paul preaches. And everything that Paul preaches is written in here. That's when the gospel is true. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This gospel is now entrusted to us. Passed down to the generations, it is entrusted to you, it's entrusted to me. And I'm saying to you, my friends, it is our job to uphold this gospel. It's our job to defend this gospel. And it's our job to proclaim this gospel. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul himself wrote in Romans 1:16 and 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation then it brings salvation this is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last as it is written the righteous shall live by faith. I want to end this morning with a prophetic burden that I want to bring to you. As convincing as Paul's conduct, Paul's conversion, and Paul's calling may be, what really nailed it for me was the transformation that we saw in his life. How many of you agree? That's what nailed it for me because it testifies to the transforming power of the gospel. You see, once Paul was transformed from the inside, his passion and his pursuit begin to change on the outside. Everything about him changed. See, because, you see, of his new master that he got to know, his, passion, his pursuit on the inside changed. See, his passion inside changed. Because he, he got to know a new master, he now has a new mission in his life. And I think this is what we should see when we come to Christ. You see, all of his life pursuits were radically changed in one encounter. What is his pursuit in life now? He said it in Philippians 3.13. This one thing I do, that's passion. This one thing I'm pursuing, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He was radically changed. The persecutor has now become a preacher. The greatest missionary against Christ has become the greatest missionary for Christ because of that one encounter with the gospel. It is not what moving experience you have, but what is your experience moving you to. It is not just what happened to you when you came to Christ, be it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or or just yesterday. It's not what happened to you when you come to Christ, but it is what happens after you come to Christ that really matters. And the Holy Spirit is challenging every one of us here, whether you are a 20-year-old Christian or you are a two-day-old Christian. I'm saying to you now, the Holy Spirit is asking you, since you became a Christian, is your life changed? Is your life radically changed? Is your character transformed? Are you now governed by the Word of the living God? Is your worldview biblical? Or is it still the same as before? That's the big question. Are you becoming more Christ-like now in your your relationship with other people around you? Are you more Christ-like with your family, with your children, with your husband, your wife? Are you more Christ-like with the colleagues around you? That's the big question. It's not what happened to you 20 years ago. You had this great encounter. It's what happened after that. That's what I'm talking about. Are you pursuing the things of God today rather than the things of this world? I've seen so many Christians who profess Christ and then after that, they still speak like the world. You get a little bit upset and suddenly your language becomes very colourful all the F's and the S's and everything else, you know, all starts coming out. Is that what, is that the transforming power of the gospel? It's not. I see people profess, I'm a Christian, but after that, they act like as if, they're not. We're still gambling and smoking and, you know, drinking and getting drunk and all of that. The pursuits remain the same. It's still money, sex, and power everywhere. Then I'm saying to you, my friends, that's Romans 12.2 is true. Don't be conformed anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. Through what? Through the living Word of God. And then you read the Word, and then you ask the Holy Spirit, help me to apply the Word see, it's all, it's going to come back to this. It's not just what you know about the gospel. We are going to teach you everything about the gospel. Sign up for the, for the course on the gospel. And you get all the, all, everything about the gospel. But it's about the transforming power of the gospel that you need to experience. It's about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by trying harder in your own strength, but it is by trusting in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within you right now. The Apostle Paul was radically changed on the road to Damascus. In his perspective, his persona, his posture, his pursuits, everything changed. Question is this, did it last? Sometimes you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first came to Christ, I was radically transformed. But did it continue? Did it last? I got good news for you. I'm so glad to report to you that it definitely did for the Apostle Paul. 20 years down the road, after that encounter, on the Damascus Road experience, 20 years down the road, Paul himself stood before the people and he testified this in Acts twenty-six nineteen. Nearing the end of his life, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What was the vision he saw? That God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Did he obey it? Absolutely. He declared at the end of 20 years, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And a few short years after the declaration, he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome and he wrote these parting words to his spiritual son Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 8. He said, I am already poured out like a drink offering. I'm an oblation. I'm poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. I pray that that will be my testimony at the end that I'll be able to say in no uncertain terms, God, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision you gave me. You know, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, not just for me, but for my children and my children's children. I pray I'll be able to say that Paul was a man obedient to the heavenly vision. He did all of that. And we need to resolve to do the same. I don't care where you are right now. You could be far away from God, but today you can turn around and say, God, I want this. I want to be able to declare with the Apostle Paul, I have kept the faith. I have run the race and I have done everything you call me to do. I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Not just for yourself or for your family. Not just for you, your children and your children's children. God help us to do that. Amen. This gospel is not just for you to know, it's for you to experience. There is a transforming power in the gospel, and you can taste it for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is. Stand with me to your feet, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Allow me to pray and then I want you to respond to him as the Lord would lead you. Lord, I pray this morning that you will come and you speak to us. Lord, as we look at the Apostle Paul, what an amazing testimony he has been to us. Lord, to see him before and during and after. But God, thank you. It wasn't just a moment of encounter for the Apostle Paul. It was a lifelong transformation for him. And Lord, it is our desire also that we will experience the transforming power of your gospel and allow your gospel to change us from the inside out. Lord, we recognize that the gospel has that ability to do it. It is the power of God unto our total salvation, body, soul, and spirit. So come and speak to us this morning in Jesus name I want you to just lift your hearts and City Campus you can take over lift your hearts to the Lord and let's worship Him and then I'm going to invite you you know it doesn't matter where you are right now in your walk with God and some of you could feel that I'm so defeated I've been through so much I, don't, I can't even see myself making progress I want you to know the power of the gospel is here the power of the Holy Spirit is here And He can turn things around for you. Let's worship Him together, shall we?